What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. This week on the podcast, I'm super, super excited to be talking to somebody that I recently connected with through conference circles and especially related to my work with the film Savvy. So we'll kind of talk to talk about that a little bit, but I'm so excited for our conversation. It's been a long time coming. I have Brianna Franklin, better known as Brie. She is the president CEO and co-founder of a nonprofit called The Prosperity Project. Welcome to the show, Brie. Thank you, Yanelli. It's so great to join you and thank you for bearing with me. I'm so happy to be a guest. I'm so happy to have you. So uh, we met because you had a conference where you invited some of the women who were featured in the film Savvy, myself included. We were on a panel um, and we were you know, speaking to a lot of the women that are involved in your work with the Prosperity Project. So that was just an amazing event. The work that you're doing is incredible. I can't wait for the people listening to hear about it and learn more about it. And of course, everybody watching on YouTube as well. So thank you for inviting me to your conference, girl. That was It was an amazing event. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you were able to join because we didn't even get the idea for it until two months before. So we were just like walking on tons of faith, trying to get everyone queued up to actually join. So it just was perfect timing that you were able to fit us into your schedule. Um, Miss Be Helpful was definitely a hit among the ready to embarkers. So just thank you again for making time to be there with us for that. Of course. All right. So when I do these podcast conversations, I always like to start with these two juicy questions, because I feel like a lot of times when we're talking about money, we're talking about financial literacy, um, and especially as it relates to women, there's a lot of assumptions, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of negativity. And I like to just, you know what, let's get to the root of that. Let's get it out of the way. And then it's not going to come up, right? It's not going to interrupt the flow of what we're trying to get to. So first question is, what is your biggest mistake or biggest regret that you've made with money that if you could go back in time in your life and erase this, what would that money mistake or money regret be for you? Oh, this isn't even a hard one. This is like something I'm constantly thinking about. Um, Getting into the situation I did with student loans, I would have done everything so differently. Mm. Um, if I could go back all over again and just make more informed decisions, not to say that I wouldn't have taken out any, um, at all, but I certainly would not have let myself graduate with $116,000 plus in student loans. That was your bachelor's. That was only a bachelor's. And I actually had a lot of like pressure from like family and just people who were very well-meaning, you know, trying to help me make that go away by like earning or increasing my earning rate with a master's and I'm like do you not see like that you know it's not that means more debt I was like are you gonna help pay for that no okay well yeah no that's not gonna happen so yeah that was my only degree and never again It's so true how people with, again, well-meaning intentions, you know, trying to help, trying to you know, do right by you, come in and make suggestions. But it's like, great, listen, your suggestion involves money. Unless your suggestion is coupled with some money, I, listen, I'm going to figure this one out. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was what was frustrating is because it was like people were speaking to it in the way that it was initially it set up, right? Like when the whole like modern day education system and the student loan system were set up. Um, and had the foundations for what they eventually became, it's like, it was a much higher success rate. Like you went to school, you studied something that came in handy for actually getting a career. You worked in that field. It was all, there was a lot of more continuity. Nowadays, like I, I would love to see the statistics to see how many people actually work in that field or what they do for a living has any relevance whatsoever to what they studied like so many people do and they're just like yeah I mean I guess I may as well study this as opposed to being like 
focused and intentional. So all that to say, like, you know, these people that were like in my ear about it, they came about in an era when it was very like linear and they're not realizing that things have shifted so much yeah. and it's not, you know, the, the ticket to um, an increase in salary or anything that it used to be. There's still a strong correlation with general education, right? Like j- just being college educated in general is more correlated with higher earnings, but you're so right. That decision about what you're going to study, if it's not intentional and aligned to what you're actually going to do, which, you know, most of the time it's not because you're 18, you're 19 years old when you decide what you're going to. So young. Yeah, like I... I would never have been able to successfully determine what my passion was going to be and what my career path would be for the rest of my life at the age of 19. It's so rare when you can successfully, you know, put your thumb on that. So that's such a great point that you made. I'm going to see if I can do some research and find any statistics about that, especially in the past 10 years as technology has shifted things so much. And if your, if your college major didn't include any kind of information about how computers work, technology, coding, anything like that, even more likely that you're probably not using it nowadays. So it's just so, it's such a good point that that question is so important of how, how many of us actually are using the specific degrees that we, um, that we got in our everyday career and and job in life. I was just talking to my neighbor, actually walking the dogs earlier. Um, She happened to be out. We got, you know, on different subjects and then this work came up and we were just, and she's older, you know, she's probably in her seventies if I had to guess, but she gets it. Like, she's like, I just hate how my generation is so anti, like, you know, helping the younger folks get out of student loan debt. She's like, cause who are you going to sell your house to? You know, like when you want to retire and not have any upkeep to worry about if a young person doesn't have the right credit or if they don't have the resources to like own a home, you know, you're stuck with that thing. And, you know, we just then got to talking about the same subject of how college really just needs like an overhaul, like a facelift, because it's so out of touch with what the modern day prospects are and like just different careers and paths that have opened up that weren't even around like 10, 15, certainly not 20 plus years ago. And it's like, I look at the people who, you know, I graduated from school with, so went to an Ivy. And so of course, like by and large, people went into consulting, finance, like those really white collar top tier, um, quote unquote jobs. But then you have like your fair share who are working service jobs. And I was one of them. And it's like absolutely no shade and like no disrespect, but it's like, you did not fork over a quarter million dollars, whether that was tuition or grants, like you didn't go through the the process of something that costs a quarter million dollars to come out working for $10 an hour. Like that, Mm. like you can do that without a degree. You can do that without that education and experience. So I'm like, that points to something that's very off kilter. It points to something systemic. And that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly the bottom line there. I, I really love how you said that what your I love what your neighbor said because I think it's one thing where we're trying to convince people that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. What's happening to millennials, it's wrong, right? Like there is there has I was looking at a statistic that said between the year 2000 and 2019, the price of college tuition per year inflated 5% annually. So for 19 years straight, every year 5% more was the inflation of tuition. That is insane. Nothing else had that high of an inflation rate. Housing, not income, that's for sure. Income definitely was not inflating that much. You're lucky if you get a 2% increase and that doesn't even match. Over the 20 years, right. 
Right. And that doesn't even match general inflation, like economic inflation. So it's just so interesting. How can people not be upset about the situation so many millennials are being put in because of the student loan debt crisis, which is of no fault to their own because the system has completely taken advantage of that, you know, that arrangement of being able to lend to students who are looking to go to college. So I, I, for, yeah. for her, for her to point out that, listen, it's, it's wrong because it's wrong. But at the end of the day, if you are looking for a reason to really, you know, uh, get behind it, get selfish. Cause a lot of them are going to have that selfish mindset where it's going to be like, well, that's them. You know, when I graduated mm-hmm. college, Back I put my myself name. up. Right. So it's just so interesting how she said an argument that that speaks to that, even that selfish mindset, um, mm-hmm. you know, and really does kind of do a good job of convincing them. Listen, this is this is good for everybody. This is good for them. It's good for you. So you might as well get behind it and figure out like, how to support it, because what's wrong is wrong. And it hurts you anyway. Precisely. And it's like a lot of people, because they were like the best case scenario, like they walked away pretty much unscathed and like even if they had student loans it was marginal you know three to five thousand dollars like I talked to older relatives all the time who were like yeah just I mean the cost of four years altogether was sixty thousand which is what one year barely costs now at like you know a tier one school and it's like like you mentioned the inflation I'm like I'm challenging people all day I'm like name something else that has increased in value to that extent over, you know, in recent memory, like, I mean, yes. gas, groceries, like you said, income, definitely not minimum wage, definitely not, uh, you know, even interest in the stock market. I mean, like, it's, and that was a very telling thing to me. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Bar- Operation Varsity Blues about the college admission scandal. I haven't seen that yet. Must watch. watch it. Put it on my Must list. watch. Because it, it really hit, hits at like, what's at the, the root of this, which is like, you know, for parents, really, like the prestige and the so-called, mm-hmm. you know, status that their That's student right. will graduate with. And it's like they do it more for their own personal gain and their reputa- reputation as opposed to actually the betterment of, you know, their children. And just the right. way that like the parents got caught, you know, by the FBI talking about their kids because they didn't they didn't write a script for the movie. They actually used the transcripts from the wiretaps. So everything wow. was reenacted. And you could hear the parents talking about, you know, one child versus another taking the SAT and then having help from the person. And she's like, well, I mean, my older daughter, like she's basically calling her an airhead. She's like, oh, she would never catch on. But my younger daughter, like she's super brilliant and she would definitely pay attention, ask questions. So then it's like you look at how they're trying to buddy up with these schools and their motives for like trying to usher their kids into these schools. And they're willing to pay whatever. And the schools are, are like completely capitalizing on that. That's right. There's like no checks and balances to keep Boom. them at bay. And I'm like, until they get required to like have some accountability, it's just going to keep ballooning. It's just nuts yeah. how much you can get away with just because you have access to funds and you can say, boom, for this much money, you give me this and, and we're good and we have a deal. Okay, great. It, you know, and it just, to the extent that it literally messes up the entire structure around college, paying for college and access to education for generations to come is, mm-hmm. is criminal. It's criminal. It's not even borderline criminal. It's criminal. It's very. They're worried about all the wrong things. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, almost none of them is the student's best interest. It's profit over people every right. time. And I'm like, and they try to, you know, people try to draw the line 
and only bash corporations for that mindset. I'm like, oh no, your beloved alma maters or you and like is a business too. Great, great grandparents. Like, oh yeah, they are not an exception at all. And the kicker for me is like, I don't know if you get this, um, but you know, they'll you'll put you on the alumni like circuit list for communications and trying to get money out of you. And the most recent one I got was, you know, hi, I'm with the Dartmouth. Um, you know, like alumni class or whatever fund. And we're trying to, you know, can we count on your support to help make um, financial assistance possible for the class of 2020, whatever it be now, 25, 26. And I was like, oh no, ma'am. I was like, because of Dartmouth, I am indebted over $116,000 in student loans. I have nothing to give to that school and I won't for the foreseeable future. And she was like, mm. oh, okay. Like, I didn't know if anyone would actually respond, but she was like, oh, I'll be sure okay, to thank you. your feedback along. Yeah, I was like, I bet you will. Like, they just have so much nerve, you know, soliciting wow. funds. And because it's just like trying to, I'm like, y'all have $4 billion in the bank. And you're trying to take from people who have nothing. Mm. And mm-hmm. from people who are like trying to use your institution to get ahead. And you're taxing them like, so That's far right. beyond what's reasonable. Like, I'm like, there's just all these bad players and, you know, horrible ulterior motives here that just need to be completely ended. They have access to that data. They could at the very least create a database that pulls out people who are in six figures of student loans is like a, a, a lot, but like anybody with t- anything less than that too is like just mm-hmm. trying to get their financial situation right and here you are texting emailing calling you know at, at least get your get your caller list right like get contact exactly. the people that have the money read to the give room. you read the <laughs> right. room especially right. in 2021 and beyond read the room boo like what do you mean you're gonna ask me for money it just it doesn't make sense it's just poor in poor taste super poor taste just like everyone's favorite Bezos thanking all of his employees and all of the Amazon <laughs> shoppers for funding his flight to space. That's just, you know, um, like, it's just so funny to me to think like the lengths that people will go to rather than just getting to the root of the problem, like just, just get to the root of it. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been talking about money mistakes, money regrets. Let's flip that on its head and talk about a big purchase. You know, you spent a lot of money on it, but you don't regret it. I actually just made that like, two days ago, maybe three days ago now. Um, so my partner, uh, he's, his dad's family is from Puerto Rico. Uh, his birthday's coming up in August. And since we've been together, which has been since um, January, 2017, so almost five years, he has put in the bill for every trip we've ever taken. And I mean, certainly it has not been like, you know, Kardashian levels where it's like private everything or anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's, he's covered like hotel, transportation, food, like, you know, and I've always felt terrible and felt like a leech. I'm like, I'm trying to pull my weight in other ways that I can um, right. just because, you know, his financial situation, he's been much better off. Like he only had 10,000 student loans. Um, he's been able to find like steady income and not have to like be forced to go the scrappy entrepreneurship route to like right. make something shake. Right. Um, so when I was looking at what I could reasonably afford in terms of some sort of like vacation, um, you know, celebrate his birthday. And also he just got a new job. I was like, well, you know, I was trying to be really, really, really cheap and like go with some sort of Airbnb. But I actually talked to his sister who had um, interned there for about three months. And so she's very familiar with the island and the lay of the land for San Juan specifically. She's like, do not 
stay in an Airbnb. She's like, I don't care how great the reviews are. Like most of them are in very sketchy areas and just my personal peace of mind. I need y'all to stay in a hotel. And I was like, well, I don't know that I have, I need y'all to stay in a hotel Hotel money. money. So I was like, shoot, that might be a problem. But, um, I, you know, looked at my finances and I was like, he's worth it, you know? And it was still like pretty reasonable. It was about 600 bucks or so. But I was like, you know what? Like I have been working my ass off for, you know, like definitely since graduating, but really, really hardcore for the last two years, like hustling, working two part-time jobs, trying to take accountability for my debt. I've never been able to splurge or really indulge. Um, So I was like, you know what? I think this would be that time. And certainly it will be a stretch before I can do it again, but no regrets. We allow ourselves to be a victim to the shame and the guilt and the humiliation and the embarrassment. And it's like, listen, listen, let that ish go because Mm -hmm. life is too short. And when you are on your deathbed thinking about your life and what you would do differently, you really think you're going to wish that you hadn't spent $600 to go to Puerto Rico? No, (laughs) absolutely not. That is the last, that's not even going to come to your mind. You're going to, you're going to love those moments that you created with them. It, you know, at that, at that hotel or wherever you choose to go. So it's just, for me, it's so interesting that we sometimes stay in those like cage like environments with our finances when really we need to just set ourselves free and realize that at the end of the day it's these types of small decisions that empower us and actually provide us with that feeling of financial freedom even if we're not quite yeah. at financial freedom because yeah. yeah. I'm like if I die tomorrow like you said like e- even though the trip won't be for a few weeks and so like at least I had taken the action to do that and I've shown him in what way I'm able that like I value you you're worth this to me you know because our relationship I'm like that's worth investing in and in my mind that's exactly what it was um so yeah, it's all about just having everything in a harmonious and sustainable balance. I love that. So you alluded to your hustle, hustle, hustle around entrepreneurship and working multiple part-time jobs and everything to craft this vision for, for the work that you're doing now. Can you tell us about the Prosperity Project? What is it, what motivated you to actually get started with you know, creating your own, um, your own organization at such a young age, especially like that is, it's such an accomplishment and even more so that you got to the root of what you feel is such a problem for women like you, who are women of color, specifically black women in a situation where, you know, they're not where they want to be financially for whatever reason. Tell us about that motivation and why the prosperity project is so important. It was born like as grassroots and organically as could be, um, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I really never knew like what lane I wanted to really venture down. So um, last summer, right, three months into quarantine, um, up to that point, I had been working in fitness. So um, when I like really hit a hard reset in life, I became a minimalist, started my debt snowball, just got really serious about regaining control and especially financial um, freedom over my life. That was in September 2019. So from then all the way through March 2020, I was working in the fitness industry, both at Orange Theory. Um, well, initially Athlete and Orange Theory, and then I dropped Athlete and moved to California and went all in on Orange Theory. Um, and so that gave me just a really good hard reset of like work ethic, like literally, you know, waking up at 5.30, sometimes 4.30 in the morning to like have to go and open, open and then, studio, you know, yep. wolfing down lunch, like with only 10 minutes to spare between um, Orange Theory ending and Athletic starting and then closing there usually and then coming home at 10.30, 11 at night, doing it all over again. Mm-hmm. And so that was really helpful just in getting me off my tail and like giving me 
motivation to like work harder, especially because I saw like these hard earned dollars and cents were barely scratching the surface with getting rid of my debt. Like, you know, the first ones were like, you know, a couple hundred dollars, like 1100, um, the lowest was 400. And then up to that point, I was like, okay, all right, this is cool. But then once I started getting to those, like, you know, 2200 and 3000 plus dollar balances, I was like, I'm going to have to work like 150 hours a week (laughs) in order to, you know, make any kind of momentum. And so that was when I had this awakening of like, you know, I have to raise my earn rate and I have to do something that creates passive income and that, you know, I can command more money for my time so that I'm not having to like, you know, log four hours of sleep and, Mm -hmm. you know, run on, on nothing. So uh, last summer, just when this moment was happening after George Floyd's murder and, um, you know, the country was finally at attention, Black lives actually do matter. And, you know, it's on us to try to figure out how to keep this from happening again. It yes. was just like instinctive. And what was interesting is I actually was um, in contact with someone who previously was like a longtime Isle of Mine white woman. She was in fitness and I saw on Instagram that she wanted to bring on someone to help her like diversify her brands and make them accessible and tailored towards black women. And so I was like trying to get my ducks in a row to present myself to her and be like, I can be that person. And I did a survey project to just collect data. But as those numbers came in and as I went through those steps, I was like, oh, wait a second, like, wait a second. No, this is not why I was put on this earth. And I mean, in following her after that, I saw it was lip service. She went right back to, you know, just catering to that exact audience. She wasn't really about it. So I'm glad that I stuck with my instinct and let that drop. And prosperity was literally born overnight last June. And I just remember thinking like, you know, this has to be a vehicle for change. And this can't just be lip service on my end. Like I can't just you know, start off strong while it's like a a wave to ride. Like I need to be putting action behind this and make this a long-term thing that has legs and can actually make meaningful change. So instinctively student loan debt was like the first thing we thought to tackle because all of my co-founders, we all were commiserating over student loans and just how they have eliminated so many opportunities for upward mobility and advancement, being able to freaking move out of our parents' houses, like you know, we were like, this is where we need to start. So that was really easy to identify and also easy to build off of because it all comes from a, you know, firsthand experience and a place that we know all too well. So that was just great momentum to like finally get it started and then keep rolling with it. That's amazing. And y'all have this very specific initiative where you take, you provide very like clear action steps to help black women specifically who you know, participate in the work, which you call, um, you call them prosperettes, which I think is so cute. That's so cute. So can you tell us about that work? I I think there were a few things like the retroactive scholarship, which covers some of the student debt that they, you know, took on. Um, And then also a few other things like supporting them with tools for uh, developing themselves professionally. And I even read about um, helping them think about philanthropy, if that's something they can even do through through um, generosity and stuff. So there's just really, I think this whole ethos that you are creating for women to internalize that, you know, if I can create this life, even as a black woman with debt, by, by being given resources, tools and support, like let's be real, financial support, 
Yeah. Then I can then I can live this this life and create this um, this existence that is aligned with you know this this very positive vision of of financial um, prosperity. So, tell us about you know the initiatives and also just generally like that real mission of the Prosperity Project. So the initiative is the thirty five two free initiative, and that gets its name from the estimated thirty five billion dollars in student loans combined with a thirty five percent financial literacy rate that collectively disenfranchised Black women. Um, so as soon as we got those numbers, I was like, this is just too perfect. Like we definitely have to do something with this. So that's yes. how we were able to turn that into a very fitting and um, tailor-made name. And so the premise of the program, um, you know, the Prosperettes apply and then we uh, make our selections for who is going to join the cohort. And over the course of the nine-ish months that it lasts, um, we're awarding, like you mentioned, the retroactive scholarship. So uh, the statistics show that Black women hold an average of 37.5 thousand in student debt a person. And so we decided to go ahead and bump that, make it a clean, even 40K. So we pay up to that much. And then anyone with less than 40K in student loans gets 50% elimination. Um, and so that way it's like, you know, they can have some burden lifted, but they also have skin in the game and they have that motivation to like, wow. you know, burn the match from the other end. And then hopefully we meet in the middle and hopefully they, you know, graduate the program debt free. But even if they don't do it in that amount of time, you know, at least we've shaved it up to 40K off their uh, debt load. So wow. beyond that, we have a network of CPAs, CFPs, um, financial professionals that are going to work with them to give customized advice. And we have um, a supplier of a financial curriculum called MentorWorks. And basically the coaches are going to meet with them, you know, once every other week or so for about an hour and just really drill those concepts in and like, you know, get a holistic sense of, you know, what boat are you in right now financially? What are your immediate goals? What's something you'd like to accomplish by the end of the program? What's something you'd like to accomplish 10 years from now? And so that way it's like just building the right habits in the psychology because you yes. know that it's not just math. It's like your attitude and your relationship with money. Have you been yes. harmed by, you know, a, a poor financial choice? has interest made you completely debt intolerant and now you just like, you know, it's warped your mindset and ability to function, you know, using different financial vehicles. Uh, and then beyond that, we also have the career accelerator component. So we have like mentors um, from different companies, uh, including Snapchat, GoFundMe, BuzzFeed that are going to work from a, a holistic standpoint. So everything from resume reviews to mock interviews to salary negotiation workshops, like we're trying to give the whole package because as they go through the program, the prospects will, you know, have to pay it forward. So uh, we're calling that the generational generosity cycle and getting into the habit of whenever you are given an advantage and a leg up in life, using that to help pay it forward to the next person and like lessen their burden. And then it just becomes like this very virtuous, um, organic recurring thing. And it's such a far cry from how we've come to just live our lives as Americans of like every person for themselves. Like we talked about earlier, you know, the resentment of seeing the next person get a come up when you didn't have that same advantage. So we're really trying to just do a lot um, in so many words and make sure that it's going to set our prospects up to be able to be those women um, for their next generations, both, you know, their children, but just in their communities my little hairs on my arms are just like raising on end. Like, first of all, the, the uh, retroactive scholarship is incredible. I mean, to get $40,000 
of, I mean, that is so life-changing and the psychological aspect of feeling free, feeling that debt burden, just literally just taken off of your shoulders and how much uh, momentum you're going to now have just because of the adrenaline rush of feeling like now I can go, like now I can really run. I can take off. I can go as fast as I want because there's literally no thing attached to me holding me back physically, mm-hmm. mentally, yeah. emotionally. Wow. That, I mean, that's an, an amazing gift. And obviously something that these women are earning is not just being handed to them, but oh, it's right. beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And then also the generational generosity, which I think is an incredible, first of all, it's a great alliteration, but then second of all, it's an incredible concept of taking what our existence on this specifically on this in this country but on this planet has become which is literally like the total opposite of thinking generously and saying not only are we going to think generously right now in our lifetime but we're going to create a generational cycle of Mm -hmm. thinking with generosity first like that is amazing and it's if more people had that kind of empathy that kind of um, compassion in their thought processes every day and the way that they're living and the way that they're crafting their life and their environment, like we would, we would literally be living in a different world. Maybe so much better off. Like, I just feel like internally people would be like, you know, more inclined to not just look the other way when they see something like it's, it's really like, yeah, changing your mindset to see the value in helping the next person and not making it about you and being like, oh, well, I had to struggle and get it out the mud. So you know, I'm, I'm just going to let you suffer, right? When it's like, not everyone was, is going to be able to turn things around the way you might have. And so it's important to like, do whatever you can, like, even if it's just a small action, um, you know, to help alleviate that and, and not just have people needlessly suffering. I, I cannot stand that. And I've seen it within my own family. I've seen, you know, just in different work environments, just that individualist mindset I'm like that's going to be the death of us all but y'all want to have that conversation (laughs) right we don't want to talk about that's what we need to be talking about getting to the root of it Mm -hmm. um and I imagine too like well I'm impressed that I feel that somebody who's been through what you've been through it's so easy to get into this negative um mindset this this uh I guess the word I'm looking for is vindictive right like looking for revenge because of Mm -hmm. what you put me through because of what I've been through and instead you've taken the total opposite approach and philosophy of no I'm not going to be vengeful I'm not looking for revenge I'm looking to give I'm looking to pay it forward I'm looking to help and I'm looking to create a community for people who've been through what I've been through and so I, I'm, I, I, my inclination is to think that usually when people have this type of approach or mindset that it's rooted in something from their childhood, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But I, I usually not, like to think something about your upbringing, I think is root to that, um, that approach that you took. So tell us about your childhood. What was it like growing up for you? Any like early money lessons that you think of or money traumas that you think of? And, and do you agree with me that there's this direct connection with the approach you chose to take? Um, to your life's work and the way that your upbringing kind of shaped you. Oh yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It's all a result of how I was brought up. Um, You know, I spent time around several, you know, older relatives, uh, my paternal grandparents who I love dearly and have a, a very close relationship with them now in adulthood. But just, I remember over the years, you know, growing up and finding out later that, you know, like my grandma dirt, dirt, dirt poor, 
you know, one of six siblings, first in her family, I think only one to go to college. So, you know, for her, she was like breaking that poverty cycle, but the mindset stayed with her, the scarcity mindset. And so I just remember over the years, like, you know, being like, oh no, we can't afford this. And then it, it trickled down, you know, to how my dad was raised. And so just hearing that language, um, just being very begrudging and like reluctant to, you know, help charity or like support other causes. And it was just like, you know, they'll figure it out. And as a kid, you don't really like know how to contextualize it properly. You just think, well, that just seems wrong. And as I got older, I was able to find vocabulary to describe it, you know, the scarcity mindset and, you know, just living in like a dearth as opposed to an abundance. And it wasn't until like two years ago when I hit that hard reset, basically across the board, I listened to a podcast And it was talking about the importance of the word yet, like I can't afford this yet, or I'm not making that kind of money yet, but I will one day and just being able to like give your own self hope with that. But then also during childhood, I saw um, on the other side of my family, money being used to control people. And it's like, you were only given the gift if it was like that person could then have access to you you know, beyond what was just standard, you know, like, oh, we're going to have lunch. It was like, now I'm all in your business and I have say over what you do and don't do. And I was like, and that feels manipulative. So that's also wrong. And, And so like, as I got older, same deal there, like finding the right vocabulary, being able to identify that and vowing, like I will be the one to break that cycle and I will never do this to someone else. I want to help people from a place that's genuine. And I do, you know, a lot of giving anonymously because I'm like, it's just not about the clout. It's not about the recognition and the, okay, yeah, now I'm the one, I have the juice. I'm the one that can, you know, make or break you. Like I I would never want to hold financial freedom over someone like that. So both of those things collectively have really shaped my outlook on this and made me so committed to doing it the right way and, you know, just being as humble as I can, like, you know, in terms of going through it graciously. And of course, people are like, oh, this is so great. You're, you're doing awesome. But I'm like, I do it for them. I do it for these women who like, you know, don't have someone or who without our program would likely be dying with student loan debt. So it comes from just a very deeply passionate and uh, a place of conviction. That's amazing. And that's definitely clear. Just to base, just based upon how you've structured the organization and this clear vision, initiatives and goals that you've set is it's amazing. Now I saw your blog post about how you made a year of officially being in business, yeah. June 2020 to June 2021. That's an amazing accomplishment. Congratulations. There Thank are you. so many statistics out there about how 50% to 75% to 90%, who knows what the statistic is, but a large majority of brand new businesses fail within the first year. And the mm-hmm. fact that you are here to tell this incredible story about not just doing well, but doing good is incredible. Incredible. It's an incredible accomplishment. You should be so, so, so pumped and proud of yourself and, and just like screaming from the rooftop, honestly, because this is amazing for, for you and for all the women involved in your work. But I could just imagine the challenges. Creating a business, first of all, in June of 2020, when we were in the thick of the pandemic, in the thick yeah. of a COVID-19 pandemic, people were quarantined. People, did, I mean, people were going crazy. And here you are 
boom, planting a seed. Tell us about maybe, I don't know, a couple of the, the hardest times, the, the, the biggest challenges. I imagine fundraising might be one of them, but maybe that's, a, that's an assumption on my part, but really thinking about, um, and that was a strategic choice on your part too, I think, to probably not to just take the startup route and try to like, you know, have a company, but more so a, a, a nonprofit and really thinking about an organization with a mission that's people-driven. Um, but yeah, just challenges, I think, is something that I'm curious about. What were the hardest parts of creating your nonprofit and starting in the thick of the pandemic? I mean, for sure, fundraising, that, that is a very accurate and on-point assumption um, that continues to be like um, the bane of our existence. And we've, we've been able to make you know, tremendous progress since, um, but just even learning the ropes because I mm. technically had started a business before. It was very small, short-lived, RIP, the English major takes tech. Um, that was kind of how I took hold of you know graduating with this English degree that a lot of people laughed at and thought was just useless. I was like, I'm going to turn this into something bankable. And, you know, I had a, a couple months of success and clients or whatever, but um, going through that process, it was like you file and then you had the LLC and then you can trademark it and then you go into business and you're good. Whereas for nonprofit, like you have to register as a 501c3, right? To have the tax deductibility perk for your donors and, you know, just the, um, the benefits to the organization that it yields. And so I thought it would be that simple too, of just like, you know, snap my fingers and then 24 to 48 hours were a 501c3. And that was not the case. Like I got people on the phone, they were like, yeah, usually the wait is about six months and it's an approval. It's not just like it's, you know, a six month process. Like they have to make sure that you check the right boxes to even be granted 501c3. But with the pandemic backlog, it's closer to a year. So thank the Lord, I was able to like connect with the right people and God just put the right, um, you know, figures into my life at that time, because we were able to connect with an attorney who has a close relationship with a um, fiscal sponsor, which is basically like a parent nonprofit that can give 501c3 operation status to other entities like us that have not gotten it independently. So they were a godsend, all of the above, just being able to like help uh, make sure that we could, you know, take funds and make sure that they were uh, tax deductible, et cetera. So that was another one. And then third would be hashing out the actual program because we started the application process last summer, actually about like just over a year ago from now. And that was all the way through end of July. And then in August is when we first interviewed those women, you know, to like figure out who would be the prosperettes. And so we thought by September, okay, well, we've also been talking to finance coaches and people in all these different career fields. And we'll just, you know, bring everyone together and call ourselves starting the program. And we just did not even know the half of how much work we actually had cut out for us oh. and just, you know, what it takes to build a quality program, because it's like, right. you can put anything, any old thing together, right. um, but to get something that's actually going to have those kinds of benefits and make sure mm. that, you know, you have the right results um, oh. when it's all said and done, that is a totally different, very different. Yeah. So we have been in the thick of that process really ever since making sure that it was done the right way. So so those will be the top three. And it's beautiful that ripple effect or the domino effect, right? Like you say that it was a godsend that you found that fiscal sponsor, but you are now becoming a fiscal sponsor for so many black women and continuing to be a godsend on for the next person. So it's just, you know, it really does align with uh, your 
the philosophy that you have about generational generosity in this small example of how you kickstarted the organization yourself. So I, I just love that that uh, continuity and that alignment there. That was a really beautiful little, I think, okay. anecdote. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Yeah, that we're a fiscal sponsor for these women. I, I right. only like associated it in the technical way, but you're you're so right, and that's the goal. You know, is to like we've got this advantage. Let's spread that love. I love that. Oh man, this is amazing. I could, girl, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. We are just <laughs> connecting on so many levels. Um, but I definitely want people to find you and connect with you for a few reasons. One, connect with you personally because you're such a dope person and, and however they can support you or, or even just follow the work that you're doing. But also for fundraising purposes, if there's people out there that hear what you're doing, they're like, hell yeah, I want to take my little bit of, you know, advantage that I have and or or a lot of advantage it might be and, pa and pay it forward and pass it on to, uh, you know, initiatives like the Prosperity Project. How can they get involved in you know supporting the work supporting you personally and then also any fundraising um, information for folks that might be wanting to put dollars towards this incredible mission that you have yes ma'am um i mean yeah we're everywhere so like our, our primary presence is on linkedin um so that's just the prosperity project and our spelling is actually with an a parentheses around that a because it's a hybrid of the words prosperity and parody uh, so we're there on LinkedIn. We're also at the Prosperity Project on Instagram, Prosperity Proj on Twitter. Um, we have a Facebook, we have a YouTube. We don't really give as much attention to those yet, um, but we're, we're you know, working to fortify our presence across all digital platforms. And then certainly our website, theprosperityproject.org. Um, that is where most folks you know, first encounter us and then you, know, you can go through the different tabs, learn more about the mission, um, about our vision about the 35 to 3 initiative, finally get to see who these brilliant prosperettes are. Um, we're working yes. on their profiles behind the scenes and then supporting financially, yes, um, as a new nonprofit, it's funny because people always think that we are like five to 10 years old. Like it's, it's so humbling and I'm just like baffled because I'm like, wow, that's a huge compliment. That's but right. one place where we are very much our age is our financial momentum. So yeah. um, we're every bit of one years old there. So just being able to, you know, bring in more uh, revenue so that way we can um, have a continuous and well-run program and not have to like start, stop. Um, right. you know, certainly all donations are welcome at all times. And you can go to the donate now um, button on our website. There's a couple different places where it's located. Um, and as Yanelli said, just even if it's a little bit like, you know, we've had so many like five and $10 donations um, and they've all just come together to put us in an awesome situation and being able to, um, you know, pay that on and make sure that the impact is generated accordingly. Uh, and then in September, we'll be running New York back uh, Goldman Sachs is uh, wanting to do an event with us to celebrate the kickoff of round one of the 35 to three initiative. So date will come uh, in another few weeks and much more of that to come, you know, just as we're finally branching out and being able to have a physical presence and connect with communities in person. Uh, we really look forward to that. So if anyone is in any of these above areas, definitely reach out so we can make sure that we don't miss you. And again, to reiterate, if you want to donate now, you can just go to theprosperityproject.org, parody spelled with an A, and the donate now button is real big right there on the top right corner so you can't miss it and yeah. it makes a big difference and it's in pink hello we're looking out for women i love this yeah. everything about it is just so perfect and so on brand um so the last thing i like to end the show with is a money motto or money mantra 
money message, whatever you want to call it. Um, but what I, I like to think about how often we use money and obviously we don't use dollar bills as much anymore. People are transacting digitally so much more, but just that core concept of giving a dollar to pay for something or, you know, handing over money to pay for something and the message on the dollar using that as a tool to make sure that it's something that everybody can see when we're transacting and reminds us of what is most important when we're thinking about the root of money and how to use it and how to make decisions about it. And so what would your money mantra or money message for everybody out there listening be? You deserve whatever you're willing to work for. Um, so that's been really like grounding just for mm. me, like, you know, making sure I never feel entitled, making sure that I always am willing to step up to the plate. Like, you know, if I want um, to earn a higher dollar amount, knowing that I have to, you know, make the right moves and put the action to justify and to truly earn it. And it's so simple. I actually put it in um, my boyfriend's family. Like we have a Bible study group chat and they asked me like a similar question. And I sent mine and his mom was like, can you marry her already? So that like, she can officially be in the family. He's like, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so it seems to to jive well with people. So that would be nine. I I really do think a lot of people probably love that duality, that message that it's being deserving of it and putting in the work to make sure that that does align, right? And that it doesn't feel like, oh, it just landed in my lap. I didn't really have to do anything for it. That feels empty. That feels empty. And it's also, you know, brings up issues of ethics. And so that, you know, coupling of like deserving because of the hard work, I think is it, it resonates with people. Yeah, I think you really can't go wrong because that way it's like, you know, you have skin in the game and it's easy to sustain as opposed to just wishing on a star, winning the lottery, just something you have really no control over. That's so true. Tell my dad that because he won't stop buying lottery tickets, girl. I tell that him all the time. Dad, dad. <laughs> Yeah, girl. Well, thank you so much. This was such a beautiful conversation. I loved getting to know deeper the story of the work that you've done with the Prosperity Project. I knew a little bit. I knew, you know, the scrapings off the surface, but really diving in and hearing it from you was just amazing. Thank you so much and have an amazing rest of your week and weekend coming up. Yes, likewise, Miss Yanelli. Thank you so much for your time, patience to get the schedule. This was so worth the wait. It was. Thank you, love. I appreciate you. All right, likewise.